You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben, and this is an emergency podcast. That's that's what this is. This is a trade deadline. Um, this this is also the hundredth Thinking Basketball Podcast. And at one point in time, I was like, I should do something really fun for the hundredth podcast. But it just so happens to fall on the trade deadline and. Cody, we have had some quick text exchanges and we just realized we need to have a show. I've been up since 4.30 in the morning, but instead of caffeine, I am running on trade deadline juice. How are you doing? Absolutely. We decided to give the people today this emergency pod instead of our our planned breakdown at the top 100 players of all time. That was going to be like eight hours long. We were going to wake up. We were going to live stream half of it. We were going to have guests on, but we thought this is probably the more appropriate thing. Oh, absolutely. This is what they asked for explicitly. They said, don't do the top 100 players of all time thing where you're going to go through NBA history in excruciating detail with all the videos synced up and watch alongs and things like that. They said, what we need instead is your unhinged opinions and hot takes about the trade deadlines that have gone down. Oh, as of recording this about three and a half hours ago. Yeah, exactly. And they were like, you know, there's no one else that's going to record a podcast about any of these trades. So we need we need you two to jump on today to get this <laughs> wow. recording out there. Wow. You are on fire already. Um, we, we have to start with the Philadelphia-Brooklyn marriage. Is it a divorce or a marriage? I don't know what's going on. It finally took place. Um, I think in podcast tradition... Can you read the details of this trade just so we all... I mean, everyone will get this at some point, but the trade officially, or I guess not officially, it's been reported to the league that the trade is going to go through. Uh, It is between the Nets and the 76ers. And what has changed sides in this trade? So I'm looking at a a, a Reddit thread right now. They have like a trade Reddit (laughs) thing. So if that's not the most up-to-date... I like... like, I'm on NBA.com and I think it's the state of the world that you're on Reddit um, <laughs> would you prefer to read them? No, then? what is Reddit? It wasn't in front of me. That's why I asked you. What is what does Reddit say? So Reddit says that the Brooklyn Nets are getting Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, a 2022 unprotected first, a via Philadelphia 2027 protected first. Or <laughs> I screwed that up. I it my screen's like really skinny. But the players Look, are what's matter. The Ben here, Simmons is what's mattering. Yeah, Ben Simmons for James Harden. And uh, Seth Curry is going along in that trade and a draft pick. That's the essence of it, right? Yeah, that was probably a lot better to say at this okay. point. I've, I finally found it. Um, Paul Millsap is technically also good. And Andre Drummond. We should not forget Andre Drummond. Oh, whereas, I didn't. As I call him, the orchestrator of Philadelphia's backup offense. <laughs> <laughs> the, the second string point center for the Philadelphia 76ers. Oh, but no longer. He will be on the Nets. By the way, I apologize. Can you hear the leaf blower in the background? Barely, maybe. No. Yeah. 
there's a leaf blower right outside my window as because this is what happens on an emergency podcast days when you just randomly record on Thursday afternoons you get but you know it's not the good time it's not the planned time you get hit with a leaf blower yeah so, wow I miss leaves I'll be honest with you I miss them as long as you can't hear it I'm just going to keep on powering through like like everything's normal um yeah you I so my immediate thought on this trade and we'll get into I think the the purpose of why we're recording which is the fit and how this works for each team and kind of the the way the on-court basketball pieces go together but my immediate thought when I saw the trade was that Brooklyn got an incredible return for the state that their team was in Yeah I think you and I had separate immediate reaction <laughs> we, had, we had opposite reactions which is fantastic because it's going to allow us to drive a lot of uh, debate and discussion around this ben i i respect you i i think <laughs> i think you're a brilliant basketball mind but ben james harden <laughs> james harden is joel Embiid's teammate in philadelphia right now like i i have not like i literally walked out of my classroom when i saw this and there was a student walking by and i'm like are you an nba fan he's like yeah i'm like james harden is on the Sixers. he's like i know right and that was my first interaction about it wait did you did you know the student or do you just flag down students around the trade deadline and ask them are you an nba fan and now i have a visual of cody jumping out of his classroom into the hallway and just going nba fan nba fan nba fan nba fan was harden traded I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty close. I knew the first student. The second person, I didn't know. I brought it up to someone else, and they're like, yeah, I saw that. And then we just bonded, and it was a beautiful moment. But it's, I, I don't know. I think, because when I think back to, like, every every single championship run that has ever happened, you need, like, a couple of these uh, big players. Like, the secondary, tertiary players are always super important, of course. But now we literally have, like, two... I don't know, top 15, a top 15 and a top 10, maybe top five player paired up together. And that's my first immediate reaction is Joel Embiid officially has like that top 15 pairing. And I'm really excited to see where that's going to go with the Sixers. Well, well, can we state something that I think most people listening to this probably already realize and think, but it's just not said enough. Both teams can do well in a trade. There isn't, there isn't this zero sum thing where one team wins and one team loses. And I think if you're willing to acknowledge that both teams can do well in a trade, I think then you can contextualize how well one team... Like, I think in this case, it's a win-win kind of trade, just in theory and in practicality, because both the milk had soured in both franchises for these players, for Simmons in Philadelphia and for Harden in Brooklyn. So assessing the trade from each franchise's perspective is not necessarily going to be about winning it, I think it's going to be about, one, what does it do to your team on the court? How much better does it make them? And two, if this is a situation where, for the most part, your market to get this kind of return was limited, um, did one team overpay or one team underpay? That's why I think my immediate reaction is for the Nets, like Harden was out. Harden, Harden was done. Whether he would have even played the rest of the year, I don't know. But he wasn't going to be part of this, number one. And number two, this experiment thing that they've had, which somehow, Cody, they only played 10 games together. I just can't even wrap my head around this. Um, It just didn't work. It didn't work. So that's why my reaction, that's why we're on such polar opposite ends of this. I just cannot believe the Nets got such an incredible haul because Ben Simmons, that's a good fit. Do we agree that that's a good fit 
for Ben Simmons. Absolutely. I think even if this is a one-to-one trade, like straight up Ben exactly. Simmons for James Harden, I would have been like, I would have still thought that both teams won the trade. Yep, exactly. And I think it makes the Nets better. I think it helps what they need now. I think it's a good fit for Ben Simmons as a basketball player. He's one of these guys that has a lot of strengths and some extreme weaknesses. And if you put him on a roster where you can kind of mask those weaknesses and you don't need to ask him to do things he can't do, and then you can have those strengths shine through, play defense, short roll, set screens, do you know, run around, cut, rebound, whatever it is. I think that's a win for all parties involved. And then they got, forget the draft picks for a second, they got Seth Curry. Yeah, and especially like, with uh, with Joe Harris, like maybe not coming back. Like yep. the, the Joe Harris noise isn't great because there isn't any Joe Harris noise. And Seth Curry kind of slots in as, you know, not as big, probably not as good, as, definitely not as good as a defender as Joe Harris, but just as lethal as an outside shooter. And so, yeah, those two together. And then plus filling in a, a backup big spot with Andre Drummond with, you know, the Nets depleted players all around a big time win for them. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it sounds like you're we're more on the same page than I thought we were going to be because Curry, we've talked about him and Embiid. We've talked about Curry a little bit before. You could make the argument that he was Philadelphia's second best offensive player. You can go back to Dallas prior and make the argument that he was like the third best offensive player they had at times, the second best offensive player, depending on who was out there. His, his game, his shooting ability. I mean, I believe as of today, he is still the all-time leader in NBA history in three-point field goal percentage from the full line. The only guys that can beat him had the uh, 22-foot line from 1995 to 1997. So, uh, yeah, I, I just, I think Brooklyn did an incredible job here. And I think in 12 hours, like a day ago, their season was completely derailed. And now they're at least at least back, right? You could see some world where stuff comes together for the Nets and now they can at least make a run in the playoffs. Or do, or do you just not think they have that in them? No, I definitely think they have a run. But I think I think I want to backtrack a little bit and, and get to the, the core of maybe where you thought we were going to disagree. I think, number one, the main disagreement is just like my first reaction was thinking about Philadelphia's side of it and thinking about Harden going there as opposed to thinking what the Nets were getting. So I'm just really excited about Philadelphia's haul with getting Harden. But number two, and maybe this is just like my lizard brain Bucks fandom living in the past sort of thing, but I'm still like stuck in seeing full power Brooklyn at the end of last year and me just thinking this team is invincible. Like, this team is a juggernaut when they're at full power that's never going to be stopped. It took seven games for the Bucks to even just by the, the inch of Kevin Durant's foot to beat them when they were depleted of their talent. And I was like, once they get everything back, like, I don't care how rough the season is. Once people, once they start playing together, it's all just going to kind of fall into place because they're going to have this, I, I like to think of it as like an, an endless cycle of collapsing the defense and offense. And I just thought that that level of offense was going to be something that we've never thought of, never conceived of before. And my reaction then looking at this, I still think Brooklyn is a very good team. They won out, but they don't have that like level of of awe where I'm like, I I don't even understand how a team can can play against this. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this a couple episodes ago. I think there's a little smoke and mirrors to that. I like like I don't think you get to keep the Nets hot shooting and the Bucks terrible shooting and then also add a healthy James Harden or in some cases a healthy Kyrie Irving and then have Jeff Green go seven of eight from downtown. And of course, if that was the representation of the team, 
I mean, the fact that the Nets were in the play-in game wouldn't even matter, right? Because then they would win the play-in game by 50 or 60 points, and then they would just stomp through the Eastern Conference. But I, I, we've talked about it. I don't want to rehash it. I just don't think that's the case. The Philadelphia side maybe where we really disagree. Because on a scale of 1 to 10, let's do it this way. On a scale of 1 to 10, how good of a basketball fit do you think Harden and Embiid are? Oh, wow. What's, can, can we get some, like, player comps at the ones and tens is like 10 like jordan and pippen and like a one is is i don't know what what's a one i, I don't t- 10 is like uh amari and nash or something okay. uh, maybe like you think perfect skill set synergy in the way they play and then a one um a one would be Draymond and Ben Simmons or something like that i mean <laughs> i don't know just skill sets that completely clash Let's say somewhere in like the six, seven range. I think. Okay. I, yeah. So you're a little higher. I think it's like a four or five. Okay. I, I, I think, I think the good part is that Embiid needs a kind of ball handler, primary creator, complimentary guy versus he, he, you can't just do the Jokic thing with Embiid or LeBron at center in LA. You can't, um, even if you had a different coach besides Doc Rivers, I don't know how far you could get with his passing or constantly keeping him around the elbows or the alternative is constantly running everything through the post and again, relying on hitting cutters or, cutters or kicking it out to three-point shooters. But with his scoring um, and of course some playmaking ability, I think having that perimeter complement is perfect. So I think you get that with Harden, but then you're back on many of the reasons why I've been called a, a oh, my favorite term, a Harden hater, um, for so many years, I think there's a rigidity to how he plays that locks you in. And I think we're going to see it again. I don't think it's just going to be all, all roses when they're on the court because one is a big man and one is a perimeter because one can have the ball in the pick and roll and the other can roll or pop. And Bede, to me, is not a guy you want vertical, you know, rim running like Dwight Powell 25 times a game. Um not only does that seem a little dangerous, I don't even know if that's the best use of his skill set the way it's developed in the last couple months. Harden then, what does he do off ball? I mean, this might not even matter because he's in a Doc Rivers offense. Um, you know, we had a, in, in our, in our um, Thinking Basketball Slack, we had a walk, watch along with the Philadelphia offense the other day. Top 15 NBA coach of all time. By the way, Cody, did you see that? What are your, what are your thoughts about that? Give me your reaction to that. All right, I'll give you because this is an emergency trade deadline pod. I will tell you exactly what happened. I I saw that they published an all time fifteen great coaches. I started looking for the historical names like Alex Hannum or um, John Kunla of the Minneapolis Lakers, the original dynasty. These guys that I'm like, are they going to check the boxes? And I'm scanning and I'm scanning and I'm scanning. And I see they have a lot of great names. They have like Pat Riley and um, uh, Greg Popovich, Phil Jackson, on and on and on, all these big names. Chuck Daly was on there, I believe. And I did notice, I was like, wow, Eric Spolstra. You know, I can see Pat Riley, but that's okay. Turns out that there were like 26 or 27 modern coaches that voted on this. So there's maybe a little bias toward the current coaches. And then, Cody, I got to Doc Rivers. And this is like having Jamal Crawford on the 75 players list. And I actually, this is a true story. I, I passed out. I hit my head on the desk. Blood went everywhere. My wife came in. She had to make sure I was okay. And then I came to and I, I just said I had a bad dream. They put Doc Rivers on the top 75 list and it turned out it was true. 
So your disappointment is he wasn't top five, right? Just to be clear. Oh, yeah. 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 That's he, the issue. Yeah. I mean, we could talk about, we could have a whole podcast episode about that, probably. What are the, what are the Rick Carlisles of the world thinking, you know, championship degree, pedigree coaches who have had great success in multiple places in the exact same era as Doc Rivers, who... I, oh, also Casey Jones made it, and he coached the 84 and the 86 Celtics championship. So my ultimate takeaway was like 13 Hall of Fame coaches and the last two Celtics guys to get the job done. This is incredible that this is what you are reacting to. We called this emergency pod for you to vent about the top 15 coaches. No, we have to move on. That's incredible. I want to go back to Harden here because my thought about Harden is a little bit counterintuitive. It maybe doesn't even make sense, and maybe you think I'm cheating by saying that like the best aspect of their pairing is their non-pairing but what i like about them is back when uh back when chris paul and james harden paired together in houston and uh and dan tony dan tony made the comment that was like we're gonna have 48 minutes of top tier point guard play and i really like that philosophy i like this idea that no matter what you're going to have this offensive engine on the court so number one when they're on the court together you don't have to rely so much so much on Embiid. you I think that's really tough for somebody that that's big. We've talked about how big he is. We've talked about how agile he is. But at the end of the day, he's still an enormous human being. And I just, I get nervous with that sort of load on one person. And so Harden being on the court alleviates some of that. But also, also, if Embiid has to miss a couple of games, it doesn't tank the Sixers. And when Embiid goes to the bench, they still have James Harden, who's, I don't know what you think he is as an offensive player, but he's still right up there. I still think he can play Harden ball efficiently enough to keep an offense going. And so that's what I really like about it. And of course, Embiid covers him defensively, not fully covers him. Like, as you've documented multiple times before on this podcast, this might be Harden's worst defensive season. Um, But now he's, what he has behind him is one of the best locked-in defensive players in the league. So it's this idea where they kind of balance each other out in those sorts of respects, and they also let each other uh, take a little bit more of a rest on a game-to-game basis. Do you, I mean, the big question is, do you think they stagger them a lot? Doc Rivers has a history of not necessarily going in that direction. So whereas with the Rockets, they had a very deliberate plan to stagger two kind of all-time level regular season on-ball weapons and then deal with how they would fit together when they're on the court at the same time. And I think they fit together okay, but of course there's natural redundancy when you play that way. Here, it might be a similar thing to your point, and I agree. I think that's a potential benefit, even in a playoff series, just to have one of those guys out there with the backups at all time. But will it happen? I mean, that I definitely haven't been studying Doc's rotations for the last few years to like for this exact moment. I hope so. Let me say, as a top 15 coach, I hope that he rises to the occasion and shows me that he's going to be staggering them more. But as we've seen with multiple superstar pairings, probably Westbrook and, and Durant, back in the Scott Brooks era is probably the one I think about the most where people are just calling for more staggering and it just doesn't happen. So I just, I have my fingers crossed that that's how it's going to happen. And if it doesn't, I really look forward to looking at the uh, enormous data size of seeing these two play together. (laughs) Was that sarcasm? It's, it's not, not sarcasm. Like I am looking forward to it, but like, I'm just happy. Everything I say is just like, excited about i love the nba this is awesome today well there there's a there's also a part of me that feels sad and 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 empty and alone and 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 kind of burned about this um i'm I'm talking about basketball still not my personal life like like the 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 harden durant 
Kyrie Irving experiment. I mean, it it failed, but we didn't get to see it play out in the basketball sense. We didn't get the sample to see to really be able to say, oh, you know, on defense, this is what happened. On offense, this is what happened. This was the ceiling. These were the redundancies. These were the things that amplified. These were the things that um, maybe, you know, somehow kept them from having a weaker offense than the 2014 Spurs or whatever it is. You know, we didn't get to make those comparisons because you just can't do that with a 10-game regular season sample and a and a few extra games against the Celtics. Um, we talked about where Harden was. I, I know my understanding is the reaction from our podcast on top point guards. We've, we've had quite a run here coming into this episode. We did the top point guards in the league and had discussions about them. Last week, we had another mega episode about sub all-star quality players. And we both had Harden in those situations as still a really good offensive player who's an all-star caliber player. But for instance, to look at one stat that you and I like, when Durant and Irving have been off the court just this season in Brooklyn, it's about 550 minutes that Harden was able to play without them. The team was outscored by their opponents, and he averaged 28 points per 75 on true shooting percentage just worse than league average. Uh, That, to me, is a giant step down from where he was a couple years ago in Houston playing that so-called Harden ball. And it's not an identical situation in terms of coaching. It's not an identical identical situation in terms of the personnel that the Nets are playing this season that we've also talked about. But my my expectation going to Philadelphia is that you still have a really good offensive player and that I think it helps them on offense to some degree. But I mean, maybe we disagree here. I just don't see them as as strong contenders because of this trade. So wherever they are right now, the 76ers, do you think they are better or worse than they were yesterday? I think they're better because Ben Simmons wasn't playing for him. This is what I mean. Like I, it's a trade where both teams seem to be trading milk that had like spoiled, but the other guy had a refrigerator that could recharge it or something. You know, he's like, well, give it, give it to me. I'll put it in this dish and we'll see how it works. I need a dish that has some like notes of, of, um, buttermilk or something that's, you know, curdled or something. Um, some cottage cheese perhaps. Yeah. Cottage. I don't know. Is that what happens? I I don't know. That kind of seems like what it's like anyway. Uh, (laughs) so, I think they got better. I obviously on the offensive side, uh, but I jo- like I don't look at their roster and think, oh, now I'm going to put them in my tier one championship contenders. And even if we looked at maybe what we'd think of as like tier two contenders or something like that, I'm I'm not sure that I would love them in a lot of series against those teams. All right, I'm going to come back a little bit here. So. If I remember correctly, back on the the point guard podcast we did, and I don't know, maybe maybe your rankings have changed since then. Did you have him at number five at that point? I I am not beholden to any rankings um, at any point, and I did have him at number five in that podcast. But again, no matter how much I say the rankings don't matter, people attach themselves to the rankings. In that conversation, I think we got the key thing across, which is 
I am more concerned about him. In years past, he would have been an easy number two or number three for me just based on his offense and being able to kind of understand what you get defensively. I'm more concerned about the entire package this year. So I still think he's in that upper echelon of point guards, but I'm I'm more comfortable with a ton of guys over him if I had to draft my playoff roster tomorrow. Yeah. So does that have to do more with like, with, with his portability? Because I'm thinking, like, would you be more excited to have somebody... Obviously, this wouldn't happen, but would you have been more excited if somebody like Darius Garland landed on Philadelphia? Because even though you had him ranked lower, maybe he fits next to somebody like Embiid better? Because I feel like I would still very clearly want Harden over a significant portion of point guards. Like, I had him three. I had him number three, I think, when we did the ranking. Yeah. So, I, Well, I would, like, yeah. I would like Garland and Curry, I think, better than just Harden. If if they're also giving up Curry, then I think I think I'd rather have Harden. I mean, I just think at least in the regular season, I think he's a better offensive player. And then with Garland, he's so young, so that's why I think they're in different tiers still. But I mean, who would I rather? Ha- I think I'd rather have Trey Young. Yeah, he was you? my number two, so I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just you know, it's 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 a situation where I think both teams get better, but it feels to me like. The Nets got much better in the sense that their season was like hemorrhaging 12 hours ago. And now I feel like the Nets at least have a direction that let's first of all, let's see if they can get out of the play in game. Is that a story people are talking about? I don't have time to consume all these talking points sometimes. Are, are, does, have, has anyone noticed that the Nets are pretty much slam dunk in the play in game until maybe until this trade deadline? Well, okay, so here's. Here's my question about the Nets then. So let's let's assume, just for the sake of this conversation, that Ben Simmons is going to jump in and start playing right away, right? And you just cited some James Harden numbers when Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are both off the court. Ben Simmons is going to be in quite a few situations coming up when both Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are going to not be on the court. So let's say we're slotting him and Seth Curry into these rotations. Do you really think the the Nets this season, right now in the regular season, are going to start performing better than when they were rolling with Harden Ball during this time? Well, the 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 bar to pass there isn't that high, right? I mean, they just have to basically play even against their opponents in those minutes. I think so, it's the scary part, though. I don't know if they have the capability to do that. Because I, I don't necessarily think the Simmons is this huge negative on defense. I don't even probably think he is a negative on defense. I mean, I'm an offense. But Harden is just so much more of, of an offensive punch, I think, than both Simmons and, and Curry. So I think the Nets, at least until they're healthy, I think this move pans out even better when Kevin Durant is back and in games when Kyrie Irving are playing. But until that happens... I wouldn't be surprised to see them starting to play even worse than they have been lately. Um, I mean, my understanding is that we're, we're recording this right after the trade announcements, so I'm sure we'll have a better perspective in the next few days. But my understanding is that there is some expected time that um, Simmons needs to ramp up just conditioning and, and game reps and things like that. So I don't know if this is going to happen right away, but... I think the totality of being able to have better offensive bodies on the court with Seth Curry as well. And even in their situation, like I don't, I don't know how useful he could be, but even a a body like Drummond uh, could be helpful for what we're talking about here. How long is Durant going to be out? We still don't know, right? No, I don't think we do. Yeah. I think the original estimates leave him out another one to three weeks, 
But of course, we're waiting on an update and his progress and whatever. But those one to three weeks are big at this point, because if you play three plus games a week on average, um, the Nets only have like 27, 28 games remaining. That's the difference between 10 of them without Durant and four of them without Durant. The all-star break is coming up as well, which will help. But yeah, I mean, Simmons, you're not super down on his offense, right? I wouldn't say I'm down on him, but we're comparing him to what James Harden was doing with the Nets. So that's where I'm coming from. Well, it's a, it's a different style. Um, and this could be a thing where Steve Nash's coaching makes a big difference one way or the other. Simmons did play in the last two seasons, not including this year, of course. Uh, in Philadelphia, he played 400 minutes with Embiid and Tobias Harris on the bench. If you want me to add anyone else to that query, let me know now. But I figured those would be the guys that dominate offense for the 76ers and in those 400 minutes they were just about break even very similar to what we just looked at for Harden and Simmons does ramp up his offense a little bit he becomes a 20 point per 75 score 58 percent true shooting which is a little above league average and his free throw attempt numbers um, go up like 40 percent they go from like six seven free throw attempts per 100 to over 10 so there is the possibility that you play that like very we've seen this when Embiid was out of the lineup before a couple years ago that very like Giannis light Simmons is kind of the point guard five out I'm not a huge fan of that but that at least is another right I think this is at least another option that gives the Nets versatility that they haven't really had and I'm looking I'm looking at the standings now because when we were talking I'm like oh my god is there a chance the Nets like don't make the playoffs but I think they're I think they're pretty safe so I'm looking at this and and the 10 seed goes down to Atlanta who's the 10 seed right now and then directly below that we have we have Washington below that we have the Knicks and then the The, Pacers with a huge drop off this the the distance between the the Hawks and the 10 spot which is the final play-in game position and the 11 I think is pretty significant right I agree like four or five games right now it's it's actually uh, the Hawks have 26 wins, the Wizards have 24 wins, the Knicks have 24 wins. But after the Knicks not making any moves in, in trades here, Beal being out the rest of the season, I mean, they just picked up Porzingis too. That's really not going to move the needle for them too much without Beal. But I, I don't think there's any, even even if the Nets go on this huge skid, even if they do, like I'm predicting that they might, I don't think they're going to be dropping much further than 10. I don't know if they can drop below below 10. So right, maybe right, right. the long game for the rest of the season does work out a little bit. Now that just, I'm looking at the standings, I'm feeling a little bit better about no, it. No, just, just to be clear with the Nets, uh, the Nets themselves, not the Hawks, have a five-game cushion. They have 29 wins, and the Wizards and Knicks have 24 wins. Oh, so, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, no, that's okay. So I, I, think, I think they're pretty much locked in. The thing that I was alluding to earlier with not hearing anyone talk about them in the play-in game is is they have more time without Durant. They only have Kyrie Irving for the away games at this point, which is maybe, what, 10 more road games or something. Their schedule after the All-Star break is actually pretty difficult. And then the Raptors are on a heater, basically. Um, I don't know if we want to get into this now or we want to save this for the next episode, but Toronto's playing great basketball. They're 20-9 and since December 1st with Pascal Siakam. That is a notable cutoff point because Siakam was reintegrated back into the lineup after missing the start of the season, and it was a little bumpy at first. There was some chemistry issues. He wasn't playing well, and in the last couple months, he's as we talked about last week, he's been playing fantastic. The Raptors have been very successful with him and Van Vliet and all this stuff, so it's unlikely 
given the schedules and given the circumstances, that Brooklyn can could have just easily passed Toronto. The Celtics are the hottest team in the league. The Celtics actually have the second best point differential in the East by a quarter point. They're behind the Cleveland Cavaliers. If you adjust for schedule, that's basketball references, SRS stat. They're on fire. And is this a good segue into the team that maybe won the trade deadline for me, the Boston Celtics? Yeah. Do you want to talk about why you're so excited about them? Well, I don't think they did anything earth shattering, but I loved the subtractions and I liked the additions, if that makes sense. So moving off of uh, Schroeder and Richardson, I think has been playing a little bit better lately on the bench, but really focusing on Marcus Smart at the starting point guard, supporting Tatum and Brown, the Jays. And then you bring back Tice, who is a piece that you know is going to be like a solid guy who can play in that kind of system. You, They'll still be a little undersized, but maybe you play him with Rob Williams at times. Maybe he's just a backup five in a small lineup. I think that works. And then you get a nice young player. He, We did sub All-Stars last week, and he wasn't really on either of our radars, I think for good reasons. But Derek White, who has been developing with the Spurs, solid defender, combo guard, um, you know, not like a great scorer, or a great passer, but I think he, I think that kind of player fits really well. And I think you could even run out a lineup with Smart, Derek White, Tatum, Brown, and like if Rob Williams is going or something, and and all of a sudden, like that's a good lineup. So yeah, really, yeah. yeah, go ahead. What I was going to say about Derek White is is that sort of lineup, you, you can imagine some lineups that you really don't want to go against defensively. Because I think I think Derek White's probably somewhat of a negative on offense. Uh, I was actually looking at your, your back picks database, and I think his passer rating is about 7.4. And honestly, that kind of shocked me. When I was watching back some of the tape, I'm like, I'm, I'm not sure if I, I see him being that good of a passer. I just don't see him being that great of a dent creator on offense, and I don't see him creating a lot for opportunities. I think he's a good secondary passer, so maybe within the Celtics unit, he's right. going to work really well as kind of like that Marcus uh, that Marcus Smart sort of role. And then defensively, I think that's where he makes his chops. I also think he's a little bit overrated defensively. I do think he's maybe like, if you were to make a top five list of the best shot blocking guards of the last decade, he's probably on it. He's a tremendous shot blocker. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's my take. Ooh, yeah. Well, I, I think he I think he gets a little overrated in um, maybe some of the Twitter circles who get really excited about developing young players. But... He's just, he seems like a guy who is a nice sort of complimentary piece. And even going back to your point about his passer rating, when I see something like that in a low load player, I think the implication is that it is the extra passing. It's not on ball passing or great playmaking or anything like that. It's just effective or efficient extra passing in a system. And so I feel like with Tatum and Smart, having more pieces like that, sorry, sorry, Tatum and, uh, Jalen Brown, having more pieces like that around them to support them. And the Celtics have been on fire. This is really weird what's happened to the Celtics in like just the last four weeks. Yeah, it really has. The East all of a sudden, like there's like seven legit teams that however it shakes out, the semifinals in the East when the playoffs start are going to be just really murderous row for, for anyone, anyone. The semifinals, what about the first round? I guess, yeah, if I say seven, that's pretty much everyone... I'm just thinking that you could have so many different combinations in those those top four in the East that any of them would be super exciting. I don't know how many of them have deep runs. Like someone might sneak their way into the conference finals that isn't a preseason, 
you know, um, darling or something. Brooklyn, didn't Brooklyn have the highest championship odds in the preseason anyway in Vegas? I think so. They were one or two. And then you look at the box as the defending champ. And then I think maybe the Heat, given that they made the finals in 2020, are the other team that people would kind of look up at, at the standings and say like, oh, these are blue bloods, right? Then you have the Bulls, you have the Cavs, you have this new 76ers, quote unquote, new 76ers team. You have the Raptors and the Celtics charging forward that we talked about. Um, I, I just can't wait. What's, what's going to happen? Can I put you on the spot with a question? Okay. Okay. That's what that's what we're here for. That's what rea- reaction pods, emergency reaction pods, are for the hot takes. And we're waiting for now to get some of the hot takes. Ben, can you tell me, can you rank right now, who's your power ranking of the Eastern Conference teams in terms of who you think has the best chance of winning a championship? You know, Cody, I just noticed we are over on time. <laughs> so that's going to be it for this episode. Uh... Okay, I think, can I start at the top? I think Please. that's the only way I could make my way through this off the top of my head. I think Milwaukee Good man. Would, would be my first. Um, if you're not watching this clip on YouTube, Kobe is nodding in, in uh, approval. Uh, I think Miami is my second. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I'm I think you've go. warmed up on Miami. I don't think you were that high on them earlier in the season. Really? Maybe. I've always thought I've always thought they were kind of a a sleeper. Okay. I think I think the the thing to understand about Miami or even my impression of Miami more accurately is that what happens in the regular season like I don't expect Miami to win 62 games and have like a plus 6 point differential. But it's this stuff with the Xs and Os, lineup configuration, versatility, what do they look like when they have all their players healthy, yada yada yada. And the more I see the more I like I, I like them in a playoff environment. So I'll go Bucks one, Miami two. Uh, this is where it gets really hard. It gets really hard. To win the East? To win the East. I got to go Brooklyn three at this point. Ooh. I think I do. I think okay. I have a hard time seeing these other teams win three series against at least two other good teams. Whereas at least the theory of Brooklyn when they're healthy, I think they have enough roster pieces. I mean, I'm really big. Like if you go back to the 2011 Heat, this is the first season that the Heatles got together. It was a huge deal. Chris Bosh, Dwayne, Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, and they just had like nothing else on the roster. Nothing. I think Mike Miller was the big addition, but he was injured that season and couldn't play or something. And so you literally had like... Carlos Arroyo or Mario Chalmers or Joel Anthony or the the 39-year-old Zadrunas Ilgaskis. It was just anything at the point guard and center. They had like no bench. And those three guys were so good and still young enough at that time that they were still really good. But just rounding out the roster in the next few years makes such a big difference when you when you go through the playoff wars. That's kind of how I feel about Brooklyn right now. I want to see the addition of Seth Curry, even, even like Andre Drummond, can someone else, does does Claxton find a better rhythm? Um, is there another young player off the bench? Is it Cam Thomas? Is anybody, can they get a seven or eight man rotation for the postseason? Because I now like the pieces and I think Simmons in theory could help them. But Simmons is still a bit of a question mark. So with all that said, I'm going to go three on the nets. And then you, how many do I have to do? I, I was just going to stay silent until you stopped. <laughs> I could go all day. Keep going. Give me five. Give, give me two more. All right, let's do five. Um, 
I think the fourth one would be... Man, it's, I think it's got to be between the Bulls and the Cavs, no? So I guess that's my 4-5. So yeah. you don't even have Philadelphia in your top five. Oh, did I forget Philadelphia? You didn't say Philadelphia. I forgot Philadelphia. Um, yeah, Philadelphia would be four, probably. Ooh, okay. Yeah, Philadelphia would be four, and then... But they got a, that's a lot of series for them to win. That is a lot. That's a lot, lot of series for them to win. Um, no, I... Mm, <laughs> I'm stuck. Now I I I'm gonna go Bulls four and Philadelphia. I don't I know I'm just gonna get in trouble for this no matter what happens because because here's the thing. Anytime you say something out of the box, uh, especially on a podcast, but even if you do it in a video sometimes or a tweet or whatever, it doesn't matter. You say something out of the box, people lose their mind, but they never go back to apologize later when you absolutely nailed it, when when everyone else was not willing to say that or was just towing a company line or was just going chalk, 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 chalk. So I'm going to stop right now before I get in more trouble with all of the big market fan bases that honestly kind of have fun and wild teams this year. Yeah, for sure. You did a really good job of covering up. I don't even know if I could tell you what your top five was. I think you listed every every one of the top seven. So ex- excellent work with that. Don't forget the Celtics and the Raptors. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like what you were saying, what's, what's also difficult about this is you might have really good process in picking the teams right now, and they still might lose. Like, you might have been technically correct in being like, I think that this team is the best chance, but because all of these teams are just so good like at a certain level they're going to lose like you're not saying with 100% certainty this is your number one with 100% certainty this is your number two so I think p- people have to keep that in mind while they get angry no everything I say is with 100% certainty <laughs> there's absolutely no room are there any other trades that we need to discuss um, I mean we're getting close to our our time limit I mean you have me on here Dante Givincenzo and Serge Ibaka oh Serge Ibaka does he still play I mean, I think he's been good lately. Okay, so are you feeling better about Sergi Baca coming in and getting big man minutes for Milwaukee or Thad Young and Drew Eubanks coming to Toronto and adding to their front court rotation? Which of these is going to be which of these is going to work out better? What are the power rankings on that? What's so interesting about Thad Young to Toronto is like I was expecting a little bit more like diversity in their attack and Thad Young is just like what everyone else is on that team. Like, they're just going to roll out a lineup that looks like Thad Young, of just, like, these 6'8 to 6'10 forwards that are long, rangy, aren't the greatest. I guess Siakam's really, really stepped up in that department, but they're going to have a really long lineup at some point, and it's going to be really fun. The jumbo lineup, they run it sometimes. Yeah, I mean, Delano Banton is still kind of a wild card as a rookie. He's going up and down uh, between the G League this year and things like that, but... If they had someone else in that position, when they get Siakam, Barnes, Ananobi, I think they have like Precious out there. With it's, it's fun. It's wild. The Raptors are fun and wild. <sighs> this NBA season is fun and wild. I, I mean, do we have to talk about any of the teams that didn't make trades? Uh, is that you asking me to do a Lakers segment? No, I'm just wondering if we need to we need to cover all our bases so we don't get yelled at too much by everyone i i think we i think we've done what we needed to do for an emergency pod i think we've circled the wagons i think so too i feel really good about this all right let's 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 wrap up the show then 
Uh, to, to support this program and all things Thinking Basketball, check out patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball. It's patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball. We've got additional content, articles, videos. Um, it, it's, it's actually kind of cool if you sign up now and you're a, you're a new member, you get access to, at this point, like three or four years of old content. So speaking of dredging up old takes and and uh showing my receipts to to sort of prove how wrong i was that i mean that's the that's the best way to do it honestly cody don't you think definitely and i'm gonna leave a little bit of a teaser but i know you've had a very renowned person in one of your patreon extra pods who had a really really hot take that i disagree with very strongly and it's going to be up to everyone to go subscribe and find it wow that was an incredible teaser. It was it's a it's a puzzle and a teaser wrapped in it's an enigma wrapped inside a riddle. Uh, that is it for this one. Hope you enjoyed it. As always, thanks for listening all the way to the end. I hope you're enjoying this NBA season. That the trade deadline is treating you well, and of course, I hope you are having a great day.